Welcome to another episode of Packy Chat, episode number 19. Yeah, I know I introed last episode as episode 19, but clearly I cannot count. This is episode 19. And uh, a little different than we have in the past, uh, just two normal chatters along with uh, a guest uh, from Europe, Rob. Rob joined us uh, for this conversation. It was great to have him. Uh, Rob brings some experience working in both North America and in Europe. Um, he's currently still in Europe, so it was great to hear him talk about uh, some of the similarities and challenges and ways we differ and things that are the same and ways we can improve, improve uh, relations between us and, and how we can kind of work towards uh, a global elephant population instead of just kind of splitting up and focusing on uh, what we have in our barn or in our country. So the holidays are right around the corner as we record this, so I'd like to wish everybody uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, all that jazz. Uh, and again, i got to push our Patreon. If you uh, want to support us, check out patreon.com backslash packychat. Happy to have you help us that way, but if that isn't in the cards for you, that's cool too. Just listen to us. We're happy to just have our listening group. We appreciate that. Uh, have any topics for 2021 you guys want to hear? Let us know. Send me a message uh, on Facebook or send us an email at packychatpodcast at gmail.com. We'll get back to you uh, if you have questions or just with ideas for uh, future topics and talks and or guests. Enough of me talking. Uh, let's just get into it. You know, when we, um, most of us start our elephant career, we're kind of central in the area that we uh, start my career, start your career. My career started in, um, in Canada. So there's not that whole lot of different elephant programs in Southern Ontario. So the experience I got was um, from one place just west of Toronto, one place east of Toronto, and then in the um, kind of the states around Ontario, such as New York. So I spent a fair amount of time in Buffalo, Syracuse, Rochester, and connecting with them. It wasn't until I started joining organizations like the EMA and started attending these conferences that not only did we get to connect with other people within North America, both in Canada and the US, is that we started, um, or at least I saw that several different European countries used to come to these meetings as well. And I would say that, that kind of surprised me, first of all, not because, um, you know, like how dare they come to, to this, this, this type of meeting or anything like that. So I thought, well, this is really expensive. And, and I really thought that there'd be a huge amount of meetings in the, in the UK or in Europe that have these uh, organizations. And I think for sure, they definitely have their own, their own meetings and that are central, just like us. You know, we've grown up in the areas and visit the facilities near us. Now we're seeing that, I'm sure in Europe, it's the exact same thing. So what's really neat for me is that when I um, started meeting these people and started talking about them, and for some reason you think, well, Europe and North America is gonna be big differences. And, and for the most part, I found that there wasn't big, big differences at all. Um, that everybody was equally as passionate about getting together and talking about elephants and caring for elephants and having a huge amount of experience and wealth of knowledge that are contributing to um, to elephant field here in North America. You know, um, I know you've been in the EMA or been a lot more of these conferences than I have, you know, what do you feel about when you started meeting these different people from different places? Yeah, I guess I wasn't surprised to see him. I never thought about it that way that, uh, you know, the money would hold them back or that there was stuff going on there. I just thought, I thought what a cool, how cool it was that this organization was bringing people from all over the world together to talk about a common, a common goal with elephants. Um, you know, I, again, I guess I did assume early on that there was something similar in Europe. I just was too poor to even realize it or to consider going over there. But, you know, the longer I've been around, uh, yeah, I guess I still don't know what is offered um, on the other side of the world for elephant people. But something you said that struck me was that, you know, however many years ago you were, you were focused on uh, what you had in 
in Southern Ontario and, and Western New York. Um, and then you started branching out yet here we are 30 some years later, still talking to each other. Right, California to Texas now, it's a little bit further, but it's, yeah, same yeah. stuff. And I have known each other for well over 30 years. Breaking into that is a, is a, is a task, you know, it's a task because, you know, it, we have our own little niche over here, the same as you have your own little niche of people in, in America, you know, so breaking into that is a, is a very difficult thing. It's it's only through knowing Vernon and you know that being schooled under the people I've been schooled under that um, you generally an acknowledgement of of what you're doing and what you're doing going forwards and how you can break into that sort of different you know that whole different set of people that that work in different places and I think that as the EMA especially has grown and grown and grown i think it's branched into completely different places in the world and it's brought a, a huge amount of people together from all over the world and i think especially from the european side it has given us a massive open door into the wealth of experience that is in north america but also the wealth of experience for north america that is in europe you know, it's interesting you said that, Rob. Like, I, when I think just, just now, if I was going to, um, like, a European elephant um, meeting, I would, it'd be like a flashback for me going to my first few elephant meetings, walking into a room and not knowing hardly anybody, really. You know, maybe you've heard some names and then maybe you made some connections so there's some kind of thread that you could grab onto to hold on to. I can imagine, you know, even as a baby keeper going to a first conference, um, we've all been there before and it's been intimidating for it, but I can imagine um, vice versa, you know, coming to a different content, going to those meetings would be intimidating um, to talk about that. But hopefully, you know, um, once you get into those meetings and then once you start talking and it's a, a very open um, discussion, you know, Rob, would you say that when you, um, I think when you first started, for lack of a better word, breaking into the North American scene or whatever, um, you you had had some connections, you know, um, you had worked with um, some people that had already made those those connections. So it wasn't like you're walking in the room not knowing anybody, but you know, as as you know, politically correct as I know as you usually are, but is it um, was there some kind of like um, American wall or North American wall? Coming into this this uh, this field, and, and or do you find that it was um, you're it was quite open and quite welcome for somebody coming from a, a different country, a different continent? No, I think that's a great question. You know, I I couldn't have felt more welcomed by the North American community, especially you know with the with the people that you know of before. You only know names, so you don't really know these people per se, as individuals, but you know names. But when you came, when I came, when I came into, into my first EMA, um, the first EMA conference, I couldn't have felt more welcome, you know? And I think that's the, the key to what the EMA has represented is that they, they couldn't be more welcoming to everybody from all over the globe. Everybody from all over the globe that we're all doing the same job we're all trying to, you know, fight for our best entails that we do with our with our elephants, and I think that that was really apparent. I think that was the biggest thing that came across to me. First of all, is that I wasn't felt made to felt an outsider. I was made to felt one of the group, and I think that was absolutely pivotal to my to my first CMA experience, and especially. So the first experience to the whole North American scene of, of, of working with elephants. And I, I really felt that I was made to feel welcome and, and you know, one of, one of the team. I know the EMA uh, used to be like really clicky. Uh, you know, my first EMA I went to was in Toronto. I don't know what year that was. It was like 94. 
Yeah. So that was the first one I went to. And uh, uh, it was, yeah, it was extremely intimidating. I did know a handful of people before I went there. Um, but still, they, uh, you know, they're there catching up with people they haven't seen in a long time. And uh, yeah, it can be very intimidating. I, I think the good thing about the conferences now is, you know, we try to be extremely open to everybody that comes. Um, I think some people still view it as clicky. Uh, and I think part of that is kind of just what I said, you're catching up. You know, I haven't, you go to a conference, you haven't seen people in a year. So you tend to gravitate and spend a lot of time with these people just to catch up on stuff. And they're, you know, they've become good friends over the years. So you know, there's a lot to talk about. But I do know that, you know, at least the groups that I, the people that we hang around with are always open to talk to whoever and whatever about really about anything. Um, you know, the people that, that I tend to hang around with and the people that are on this podcast and stuff, you know, we, we love to talk about elephants. We love to talk about training, even if it's something we don't do, um, you know, a philosophy or something we don't necessarily share common, common practices. And we'd love to talk about it because I know that none of the people here really have an agenda, but we'd like to try to educate ourselves and just kind of see both sides of the story before we, uh, you know, kind of make decisions and decide what practices we're going to use in our own facility. And, you know, you can't do that if you're, one, if you're closed-minded, but two, if you just run in the same circle all the time, you're just going to get the same results all the time. So I think, you know, conferences in general, but EMA especially, have definitely evolved into being more open. It's still, you know, if it's your first time there, I assume it's extremely intimidating and trying to convince someone to just go talk to somebody, that's not an easy thing to do for a lot of people, so. Yeah, especially if you have some of the European countries um, where, you know, English might not be their first, their, well, usually isn't their first language. Um, they, it's, it's harder as well to try to break into it and, um, and then worry about language barrier. But I think it's really interesting too, what's going there is that not only do you uh, meet somebody from another zoo, but for the most part, you name a U.S. zoo, most of us at the least know whether they're African or Asian elephants that they have. You might know a little bit more. You might even know what exact elephants they have and their ages and all that kind of stuff. But meeting somebody from a different country, literally sometimes like one of the first questions I ask is, do you have African or Asian elephants? That's how we don't know enough about, about these different programs. So imagine if you start off a conversation just wanting to know whether you have African and Asian elephants, there's a lot of ground to cover to try to catch up just to get to know um, uh, what they're about and what their facilities like. I also find it um, fascinating too is that, you know, we, here in North America, you, 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 you take North American history and you um, go on a school field trip or you, you hit some of the, the landmarks on a trip. We think, ooh, that's old. That's not old, man. Nothing's, nothing's old compared to the first time you go to Europe. Some old stuff in Europe <laughs> for a long period of time. And then when you talk about some of these zoos have been around for such a long, long time. And some are still dealing with facilities that are like, that are really, really land, uh, huge landmarks and they have to build around them. And not only has you find something, an elephant facility might be old, that elephant facility, even though it's old, might have already gone over three or four different renovations as the, as the decades, borderline centuries <laughs> that go by with these programs. So it's, and then you start talking about, you wanna you know, talk about histories of elephants. Well, you know, you think about Asian elephants, um, if you start talking about Portland, let's say, and the, the amount of elephants they've had in Portland and the long history they have there. Um, again, that's just scratching the surface of what some of these other programs have to, have to offer. So it's quite amazing to find that. I also find too that, I'm generalizing too here, but a lot of the European um, keepers and handlers that I've met before um, seem to be more steeped in their, the history of their facility than I think um, the, the average North American um, keeper. I, I don't know why that is. It might just be the, the specific people I, I met, but it's, it's really cool that if you get in a situation that if you do talk to somebody uh, in another country or Europe, um, there's a whole lot of stuff there. 
that, um, that is quite different in just the history of that facility. Um, and then when you start breaking down that history and going through about looking and taking care of elephants, just because they've been around for a long period of time and they've gone through many of the same things as we have when it comes to um, throughout the years, management philosophies and viewpoints. Um, you know, I remember, you know, early in my career going through, like we all have going through different philosophies in North America. And then talking to some people from Europe, they're going through the same things. And, I, and timing wise, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, there's that, you know, when the PC or the talk about protective contact and all those fights and, and arguments that happened early in the day, um, it seemed to happen first in North America. Uh, I'm not saying that it didn't happen at all in, in Europe, but it seemed that it was more um, prevalent in the U.S. first. It was more controversial or more topical. Um, you know, timelines. You do, you, do you remember that? In in Europe, it, it it sort of rumbled at the same time. I remember, you know, I've been lucky enough to, you know, been around elephants since I was a, a very small boy. But I can remember by the time I'd done sort of 10 years and and I was working at a facility that was near London, that it was being talked about very much that, you know, protected contact was going to come. Um, and at the, at the time, it was sort of seen as a, as a absolutely not, you know, it was seen, you know, especially from a young man coming up through the ranks, it was being seen as a, no, this is not what we should be doing and, you know, not the way to go forward. But I think as said that, you know, as you, as you do it more and more and you see what's around you and you see how public perception changes as, as what we do with elephants, I think we, we have all moved into a, a different thing to be able to keep these animals in captivity and and what we see is the best way to go forward in the best of the public perception of how we go forward what do you think other than that i don't i don't know i don't know what to say about it um yes it moves sooner you know i know you guys are kind of uh european zoos are now even more drastic to the protected contact stuff uh i think than we are correct I'm not sure about more drastic, but it's it's definitely exactly the same in in no, some I, states, but in other states it's different, you know. And as you guys already know, in in different facilities, it's different than other facilities. It's considered more um, the way we look after elephants is considered more different than others. So as you you guys already know, it's some places are more. Um, invested into exactly doing it this way and, and other facilities and invested into doing it in, in a more different way or a more fluid way. It, it, it's been completely different. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, that's the same thing here. You know, people that are, are invested in their programs for what they are, you know, they're definitely struggling to change. Uh, they were struggling to change. That's a mute point now. I mean, everybody has changed. Are there still free contact places like a lot of them over your way there's not a huge amount of, of free contact places now anymore in europe um i think there's a lot of places that are still free contact with aged cows so i, I would say the majority of the free contact facilities throughout europe are mostly old females that are still being looked after in a free contact situation we are a, you know, where I am is a, is very different. We have a multi-generational herd that's still being looked after in a free contact situation, but we still train our calves and our, our females in a protected contact situation as well. So to answer your question, really, it's, it's mostly focusing on old females are the main I suppose, herds that are still being looked after in free contact in Europe, but a hell of a lot of the, the other situations and the other collections in Europe have totally changed the PC. There is no, 
rules for us to change into PC until 10 years time. So it's nine years time now. So I think it's 2030 in protected contact. If we want to be part of an organization that says that we should do that. You know, it's, it's interesting when I, uh, my perception, you know, going back to the beginning is that, um, you know, when, when these discussions and, and philosophy as health management were happening, um, you know, I think anytime you try to change something, you know, um, there's people who might feel threatened for whatever reason, uh, and they may feel that's not the best thing for their animals. But what's interesting, what I always viewed for the, um, you know, for the European com community is that change is difficult for everybody. And, but if the, the longer you're doing something or if it's steeped in tradition, then generally it's a little bit more challenging to get those changes done, um, changes over. So when I look at, you know, the European population, I was always wondering, man, that's, I wonder if it's gonna be harder for um, to change some of these management practices because they've been doing it for so much longer and it's been such part of tradition. And then just the way humans are, you know, the longer you've been doing something, the more difficult it is. And then, um, and then you know, to the point, you know, um, whether I was correct or incorrect when it comes to each facility, um, you know, whether it's more difficult or not, it might be a very broad stroke to paint between Europe, the European countries and the um, North American countries. But that's my perception anyway. And just not because of lack of open-mindedness or anything like that. It's just, I believe that it's anything that you try to change that's you'll be doing for a long time, it's harder to do. But then, you know, and then my perception is right now is I think that um, a lot of the European countries have, let's say, um, accelerated some of the philosophies. Um, you know, going through some of the, um, best practices, manuals, and things like that. Um, the information, like in the AZA, best practices, one they just put out in 2020, the details is very impressive. It surpasses what I think anything we have in North America. We look at standards that we have, um, that we have the AZA elephant standards that uh, majority of the uh, North American zoos that, well, that all the zoos that are AZA accredited follow. And many of the um, North American zoos are easily accredited to have elephants. It is more detailed by far than what we have right now. Um, and some of the some of the discussions are, are very specific. And now I see detailed, you know, we can look at, you know, some different trends in, um, in North America. We used to focus on, you know, sizes of enclosures. And then we kind of got away with that because we're talking about it's the it's not so much the size it's you know what's in that enclosure, and the the EAS best practices does mention that as well. But they talk um, very specific details about um, sizes of spaces you have for your elephants and how many square meters you have to add on per calf or things like that. Um, it's really interesting to me that it, that I look at that and this is not a commentary whether it's it's good or bad, or I hate using the word evolved or advanced or anything like that. Um, but those discussions seem to be happening at a more detailed level um, throughout IAZA, at least in that document it does in North America. Now, Rob, you've, you've, you've worked in North America and um, in more than one European country. You know, me making that statement like that, does that, you know, I could be totally wrong. What do you, what do you feel about, am I generalizing it too much? Yeah, that's a that's a very difficult question to answer. In fact, of I found some things were extremely um, governed, and they said they, and I find a lot of things now in Iaza are not so well governed, um, and you can go both ways. Um, it it's very difficult, and the fact of you have a lot of facilities that have very experienced elephant managers and some are not so experienced elephant managers and the, the way they manage their herds are very, very different across the board. So, you know, for, for us, we supply a lot of plasma to different facilities because they are not able to take plasma, but it says in the guidelines that you should be able to take plasma. So, as we all know, guys, it's it's 
controversial to say yes or no. And everybody knows that it's dependent on the, the animals, the staff, you know, the time you have to train to do it. But it, you know, it's the answer to your question is I'm not sure. It's it it's it's by the by of, of different collections. You know, then when we talk about um, um, the guidelines and stuff like that, and what we should, um, I know some differences. You know, um, um, there's some great stuff. I think both in um, you know within Asia and, and in the Aza here. Before I ask you about that, can you just give us a little bit of a? I'm going to show my North American um, stupidity. Is I, I don't know how far Yaza goes. Like I know some European countries, of course, but is Yaza incorporate like um, Far East countries? Like where, what is there part of Europe that Yaza is not, or is all of Europe representing in Yaza? Um, if you can give me like a, a East, West, North, South you know, borders that would help, I think, give everybody a clear indication of um, of what number of different countries and diversity there is. You know, just a little bit talking about, you know, the um, some of the challenges within the Yaza. Um, is language in 2020 really an issue anymore? Um, what is the diversity that we're talking about? How many different um, abilities are we talking about within those organizations, within, within that organization? How, how the Yaza stretches is I'm not sure, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure whether it goes right the way to the end of Russia and it goes right the way to the end of Italy. I'm I'm not sure at all. But what I can tell you is that I know that IASA is the governing body of most of the main institu zoological institutions of, of Europe. So what, what things challenge us at the moment in as far as elephant management is concerned is that we've been incredibly lucky that we are producing a, a massive amount of elephant youngs young elephants well we're we're having a massive amount of births and we have had since i don't know the early 2000s but now we have found ourselves in a position where we have a a lot of male calves and a lot of female calves as well so we're left in the position where, where do we hold these males? Where do we hold these females? If we want to continue as a cohesive herd throughout our collections, where do we hold these herds? Where do we hold these bachelor herds that would mean the continuation of, of the line in which we want to follow, as we all think we should? We're left in a bit of a conundrum if we're honest because in in the fact of our own success there's been a lot of su successful breeding herds across europe now since you know the the late 90s and now we've been left in the place where we have a lot of males that that need to be rehomed but we also have a lot of females that need to be rehomed so we're we're kind of stuck really so i'm jealous of that problem <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It'd be uh, finding a home for these males is a, is a problem, but, um, you know, the sustainability picture, you know, uh, not to get too, um, I'm not want to get bogged down genetics at all, but when we talk about North America and we look at our sustainability and it's bleak in North America, um, with that tremendous, um, you know, birthing that you're talking about, it's a sustainability discussions in Europe. Are they bleak at all? Or is it just we are doing so well that we might have to stop because we're doing too well because we are, for lack of a better word, too sustainable? Or is it the population, it's still not sustainable. You just don't have, even though you're successful, absolute numbers might not be that big, but spaces for them is the problem. So is it the fact that, you know, in, in North America, we're like, breed, breed, breed. We, we have space for these elephants, but we're just not putting calves on the ground. North and Europe, you're putting calves on the ground. Is it too many calves? Or is the problem that you just need more places? If anything, you still need to produce the same amount of calves, maybe even more from a sustainability standpoint, 
but the focus is building. For me, Vern, you know, for me, just as an elephant manager, I don't speak for Yaza, or I don't speak for my institution, or I don't speak for anyone. Just for me, I think that our lack of working together is beginning to come to the forefront of where we fail. I think that we should work much more together as a global, you know, conservation institutions rather than working as different zoos as independents, for me. And it's only my opinion. I, you know, we've been very lucky in the fact of in Europe, we had a multitude of young females that were brought in to throughout European institutions in the late 80s, early 90s. And they went on to breed. And um, as the herd learned to breed themselves, after many, many, many tragedies, they have they have continued to breed themselves. So it, you've gone on to have multiple generations of, of females and, and and breeding success, but I think that should be shared throughout the whole of the globe. You know, we, what are we doing? Are we are we here to ensure a whole species survival? Are we here to ensure our individual institutions glory i don't know I, I may that may sound horrible but i don't know i i couldn't agree with that statement more i mean i think we are here for a global global success but it's such a it's such a tough thing to do uh you know i agree i agree with your statement 100 um in a lot of ways but how you know how does that happen you know how do we get communication better? How do we get the ability to transfer animals across um, across the world reasonably, uh, especially now that zoos are, are all going to be faced with a ton of financial uh, issues moving forward? You know, it's going to take years to recoup what the coronavirus has done to zoos and conservation organizations um, to where we get back to a point where we have the resources to to send an elephant across the country um, or across the world. So I don't disagree with anything you said. I just don't know how that's attainable right now. And what what steps could we take now, uh, knowing this, to maybe set us up to be more successful down the road? No idea, mate. I have no idea how we're going to set that up. How we can move forward as a, as a global conservation, you know, initiative for Asian elephants, I would have no idea, mate. I'm, I'm only speaking from a complete elephant manager's point of view. It's not a, you know, not a, an idea for the whole management population of, of the Western world. But I think if we, we've always had in my experience, it's only been 22 years in the game. It's we've always had a, you know, uh, this is our elephants. We're going to keep these. We're going to breed these. But the, if we can fluidize that more, you know, if we can share our experience, if we can share our dams of, of the cast, if we can share our bulls, if we can be more sharing throughout the whole of the Western world, rather than just within Northern America and within in Europe, I think we'll be much more successful because I think on the one hand, we're, we're doing really, really well, but we've pinned ourselves into a corner where we have too many males or too many breeding females at the same time. But in in Northern America, we've pinned ourselves into a corner where we we don't have enough success. So can we can we can we spread that? I don't know. You know, we can't. We're not going to be successfully globally if we can't even become successfully here in, in North America. Um, and I think I think some of the problems stem from uh, we have so much division amongst us now. And granted, I think it's better than it's been in a long time at least on the 
on the manager level. I'm not sure on the on the director level and such on how they look at um, you know the unity across the the elephant community. But you know, I, I for one, I mean, we've had some a lot of success breeding and and moving elephants uh, out of here hasn't even really been a discussion much for us. But you know, I think a lot of people would have some apprehension on and on where where they went and what happened to them because we can't agree on so many things here now uh, it, i just think it would be a challenge to to move some of these elephants and you know so now picture doing that across the world man i don't know i you know i think i think it's i think communication and, and dialogue and understanding each other is a great place to start but i just don't know how that gets how that moves along any more than than uh, we're doing right now. No, it's interesting. We talk North America, we're Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. And obviously, moving animals across borders in North America um, uh, is difficult. You know, to to move an elephant to Canada or vice versa. Of course, it can be done. Get elephants from Mexico or or send elephants to Mexico can be done. But the amount of paperwork is is quite a bit. And I agree with both of you guys. It seems the philosophies seems to be an equal um, hurdle than the fact that there's, there's, there's borders. You know, when you talk about uh, the European community, you have a lot more borders, um, obviously, to cross. Rob, would you say, you know, just like you said, is that we are a lot better when it comes to our philosophies and getting together? Um, you know, do you find that that is the same in Europe? Or... Is it harder or easier to move elephants across borders? You know, like we have, let's say, so in the US, there's obviously state lines and we talk about philosophies. Um, it's not so much that, oh, everybody's a cowboy in, in Texas. So you can't send elephants there. Everybody's, you know, a hippie in California. You can't send elephants there. It really is an institution by institution philosophy where we are sometimes have our differences in in the European community, is it like, well, those, you know, those crazy Germans there or or the, you know, the radical Czechs or something like that, is there some kind of, um, you know, um, country biases, biases? Or do you think it's the same in North America? It's facility by facility. And then the second part of that question is, is it easy to move animals through the borders or is there a lot of paperwork and difficulty um, as there is in North America? No, I think we, no, throughout the whole of Europe over the past 20 years, things have changed so much throughout the elephant community. And there's been so many births, there's been so many movements of calves and, and families, and it, it's changed so hugely. And I think that Moving from facility to facility, I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's changed that much. I think that, you know, some facilities have been very, very lucky in the fact that they've had established herds that have been given to them. And the, for want the word, better word, hard work has been put in to educate these cows into how they have babies and how they rear babies and how they carry on through multi-generational births. And I think for the, for the answer of your other question, I think the movement of these elephants has become more and more normal throughout Europe because the more calves that are born, the more issues have come up with multi generational cast, multi-generational families, but also the biggest thing for us, males. More and more males have been born. So if you look at it in our, for our point of view, if you say you have 60% female, 40% male on the best possible, you know, way of thinking, we've had a hell of a lot of surplus males that we've had to move. So those males have had to move continuously over the past 25 years. But the females have had to move as well. So we've been very lucky in the fact that we've had a huge amount of experience of moving 
multi-generational herds and the males around a lot. Okay, so, so since there's so much moving around stuff like that, it sounds like there is, um, there's, there's a lot of talking, a lot of communication between the countries because, you know, generally speaking, European countries are small, and you're, if you only, if you only dealt with your own country, you could be extremely limited uh, for that. So there seems to be quite a bit um, of talking between the countries. But it'd be pretty safe to say that it'd be it'd be wrong to stereotype that that all all British zoos are exactly the same, and all your all German zoos are exactly the same, and German zoos are different than your than English zoos. Um, it really is kind of like what North America is. It's not state by state like differences in the U.S. And it's not necessarily just country to country differences. It seems to be similar that it's facility to facility or are the differences. Is that correct? Is that absolutely. I think it's. I think it's absolutely the same as it would be in North America. It's just that there was an influx of young breeding females into Europe in the late 80s, early 90s. A lot of these animals failed to have successful calves, but a lot of these animals went on to have successful calves. So I think it's exactly the same as what you just said. It would have been exactly the same. Everybody wants to hold on to what they've got because some of them have you know, multi-generational herds. They're very lucky in the fact that that's what happened. And I think that other places would love to have that, but zoos want to hold on to that. Other different places want to hold on to that. So I think it's the same as what you're saying, Vernon. The fact of it would have been exactly the same North America in, in, in any place in the world. It was just very lucky that we had a huge amount of young Asian elephants that were brought in to Europe in the late 80s, early 90s, and a lot of them had calves. When you talk about importations like that, um, question popped to mind. Is there equal amounts of facilities that have African versus Asian elephants, or is there one species that are, let's say, either doing better or more represented? Or are all these babies both species that are coming? At the moment, it's, it's mostly the Asians. And it has been for over the past 20 years. But I, there is a, there has been a, a, a lot of African elephants born, you know, between especially the UK and, and Germany, with two different facilities that have bred a huge amount of, of African elephants and continue to breed a huge amount of African elephants. So I think it's 20 Africans born over the past. 16 years between just those two facilities. I remember um, we talked about EMA, you know, a little bit. Was there, to your knowledge, Rob, was there ever an, an EMA equivalent in Europe, or at least even in within um, an English equivalent or a German equivalent that you're aware of? Yeah, I think so. When I was much younger, boy, I think there was. There was before. I think it was a European group. Is, um, is, is ICMA not around anymore? I don't think it really exists anymore. And I think they actually asked if we could join that with um, the existing EMA, um, which I thought would be a great idea. As mentioned, the, um, also kind of growing up, I remember a few colleagues in North America going to Europe to um, a few schools. I know that's stopped now because of COVID, but... Is that, I think that is that, it seems to be uh, every so often I hear stuff about um, workshops and stuff in England. Does that happen in, in all the countries? Or right now, does it seem to be more English based when it comes to professional development opportunities throughout Europe? There's been quite a few, you know, workshops that have been done throughout Europe. Um, they've been very useful throughout the whole of the community, but I wonder whether we should aim more, in my opinion, in a, in a whole Western world workshops. 
um, rather than just focusing on your Europe, your Northern American. I think we should do more of a, a Western world workshop. Um, I think everybody has something to offer. I think uh, the biggest thing I learned when I moved to North America was uh, a different skill set. And um, I think that could be passed on. And I think maybe we should, we should look at that more and more, whether we should include everybody or whether we should just include our own separate parts of the elephant care community. If you don't include everybody, then I think you just, you're kind of like, you end up preaching to the choir, you know what I mean? And you, and you just Absolutely. all talk about kind of the same thing. It's having yeah. the, it's having the outliers and the different people with different philosophies that attend and different perspectives on things that make the organization grow. There's things that come up that I know not all of us agree on and, uh, and probably shouldn't agree on. Um, but I think, I think a lot of the controversy in the business over the last however many years has made is what made the, the business grow. Um, you know, some things, some changes I don't agree with. Um, and I don't think they were the best for the animals, but I think some of the stuff that came out of the discussion and some of the things that came out of being pushed this way made the industry grow, uh, and made it, you know, in some ways a lot better. You know, we always try to find some kind of, thread or silver lining in this COVID time. And um, I know we refer to EMA a lot, um, besides us having invested interest in that organization. Um, we're also um, see the value of it, but you know, we, we couldn't have our annual conference this year to get together. And we previously mentioned, you know, the costs associated with going to, um, to um, traveling to another country, you know, for most of my career, I was in Canada and I had to, you know, this Canadian dollar wasn't as strong as the American dollars. So it cost me like 30% more to come to a, 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 um, a conference in the U.S. It would cost me even more going to England, you know, because the pound is even stronger than the American dollar. So we talk about costs, you know, going somewhere. But um, our, our biggest problem that we had in our virtual conference this year, we did for the EMA, was um, time differences. So it's crazy. And we're talking about trying to get the elephant community together and talk and stuff like that. And right now the biggest obstacle is what time of the day it is. You know, that really is, um, does, does influence us, but it's something that's not insurmountable. But I think that the in-person stuff is never gonna go away. Um, but um, I think what we can learn through is that, you know, if we wanna try to get these uh, Western hemisphere philosophy, and I say Western hemisphere, you know, that's, that's the first step. Maybe it could even be even more um, when it comes to um, global. The Western Hemisphere to me is a little bit easier because for the most part, um, everybody speaks or can understand English. So I think it'd be a lot easier than if we brought in some of the Asian countries <clears throat> where it may, or, it may be more prevalent or less prevalent. Um, and I could, I'm speaking, being naive about that, but I don't know if it'd be a problem. I don't know if we ever have at the UN where we all have lawyer pieces and we have translators going through, but I think it's not insurmountable to have this Western thing during this time of age. Um, and I think the three of us here, you know, see the value of that. And again, not to toot the EMAs, um, you know, um, horn a little bit more. But I think that uh, we can start being used as a, um, you know, is starting to kick that off and trying to really foster that. You know, the, the big organizations like IAZA and AZA, um, not, I'm just not familiar enough to know whether there's a whole lot of talks that go in between those organizations. Do you remember seeing many European contingents coming to visit, um, to, to share? Not so much, I don't think it, at AZA. Um... You know, there might be um, a handful, but the majority of the people there are definitely, you know, North American, some South American uh, facilities. Yeah, so even even on that level, and, and you talk about expense, you know, that conference is extremely expensive. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I remember one time, and I think in Arizona, I don't know why they're here. Do you remember there was an update from some some gentleman from IAZA? He just like fifteen minute presentation yeah. or something, you know? Um, it'd be interesting to see um, what went into that. It was just all circumstance there for a different reason, you know? Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. You know, um, I think moving forward, you know, as an organization, as an EMA anyway, um, we've started talking about actually having a conference in Europe. Thanks for once again listening to Packy Chat. You know, I say it every time, but, you know, Packy Chat is not about agendas or anything like that. It's just a, a handful of guys getting together and talking about elephants and our passion for elephants. So we're not trying to push anything on anybody. Uh, we hope that anyone that listens has an open mind and, you know, if you can take one or two things away from the stuff we talk about, great. Uh, if it spurs on uh, some conversation in the barn or makes you think about things differently or even reassures that what you're doing is right, uh, you know, that's all great. You know, we, I'll say it over and over, we love elephants and we love to talk about them. So that's what this is all about. So thanks so much for listening to us. And thanks as always for supporting us on Facebook or wherever you listen to your podcasts couple things if you have other topics you want to hear us talk about send us a, a message on facebook or email us at packy chat podcasts at gmail.com p-a-c-h-y-c-h-a-t-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com uh, and we'll answer those emails uh, as soon as we can or give us ideas for future topics and again as i mentioned earlier on uh, we are on patreon now uh, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, uh, and look up Packy Chat. And all that is is a way to help support us. Uh, you know, I know times are tough for everybody, and we're certainly not looking to make a profit on Packy Chat. But uh, there are some expenses that go along with it. Microphones, uh, software, podcast space, all that thing costs money that we're paying for out of our pocket right now, which we're f happy to do. If you like us like us enough to support us that's great you know what and if now is not the time to provide any uh, financial support we are so cool with that as well just uh, give us a like and share with your friends that's good enough for us uh, as always thanks so much for listening to us and we'll see you next time mm -hmm.